0: Greetings, welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media. It is a New Jersey SEO company. It's an internet marketing service, top-ranked New Jersey SEO and WordPress design company. All the information for TJB Web Media is in the show notes. So if you're looking for a really good company, to build your website, to enhance your website, to consult with about your website or any other matters that has to do with media, contact Dave Butler and the information is in the show notes. Alpha Ministries is a ministry dedicated to teaching individuals and institutions the the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's message is part three of a series that John is teaching Sunday mornings out at Church in the Woods in Okeechobee, Freedom Ranch. And without further delay, here is part three of Walking Backwards.
1: So when we're walking backwards, we're walking by faith, not by sight. And this makes all the difference in the world and the lifestyle that we live. Now the Bible's clear that there are two separate lifestyles for believers. There's a lifestyle of law and lies, exceptions, rules that we know, we can see, and we are obligated to follow. But they're presenting now another lifestyle, a radically different lifestyle, one that is totally backwards to the lifestyle of law, and that's a lifestyle of grace and truth. Now you've all heard me talk about that before. I've mentioned it time and time again in various contexts, the difference between law and grace. But I want to rehearse that difference with you again this morning. Just to give you a kind of a head start on our study here in terms of walking backwards, I want you to see what walking in grace is about and see particularly the contrast between the normal lifestyle, walking by sight, and the supernatural lifestyle of walking by faith. Now, of course, as I've already told you in the introduction and explained to you, you know, this, this idea of walking as presented in the scriptures is just simply another expression for our lifestyle. How do you live your everyday, normal, walking around life? You can live it under the law or you can live it under grace. And I want to make sure you understand, each one of you understand, the radical difference between those two. So it's not confused, As we're going to talk about with a, a different lifestyle of religion, a lifestyle of prolonged mercy. Uh, no, no, no. We're talking about a lifestyle of grace here. The Scripture I want to use this morning uh, for the contrast at least, and we'll, we'll bring some others in, but the contrasting scripture that I want to use is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read this to you. Breaking into the context here a little bit, in verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is, God. is of God. Now there's the first contrast. Who's going to do it? you're walking backwards you're living your life lifestyle out who's going to live it is it going to be you in your own power and your own strength or is it going to be God working through you and so he goes on with the contrast and this one verse is amazing with that he says who referring to God verse 6 also hath made us Now, when he says us, he's not just talking about himself. He's not just talking about the other apostles. He's not just talking about uh, those early Christians. He's talking about all believers. He's made us able ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now I want you to see this contrast on several different levels. First of all, he says, we are able ministers, that means God has provided you as a believer with all the sufficiency you need to walk in this new lifestyle of grace and truth as opposed to your normal lifestyle your natural lifestyle of Law and Laws. He has made you an able minister of the New Covenant. Now, having just completed our study in Hebrews, it should ring a bell with this New Covenant idea. We spent a lot of time on it when we studied Hebrews in contrasting the New Covenant, which he's talking about here, or a new contract. Don't let the word covenant throw you. It just means contract or a deal. A new deal. He's contrasting with the old covenant. The old deal. The old contract. Now let's understand the basis of this. The old covenant was begun by God and made by God with humanity all humans. When Moses was given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai and all the rules and regulations, all of the statutes, judgments, and ordinances, as well as the ceremonial law concerning sacrifices and all that sort of thing, that was given to Moses in the ancient days of Israel at Mount Sinai. But that old covenant philosophy, that old covenant idea, that old covenant is in fact very much alive today. It didn't die with Moses. It continued on. And the old covenant was essentially this. God said, If you behave yourself according to my rules, then I'll bless you, I'll prosper you. But if you don't behave yourself according to my rules, I'll curse you. Now that basic thought strikes fear in the heart of every person who's honest. Fear, because in the first place, we're not sure what the rules are. I mean, God gave Moses ten commandments, and we're not even sure of those. But in the New Testament Scriptures, there's over 1,000 commandments. And we're not sure exactly what those rules are, what they mean, and how we go about living our life according to those rules. And so there's developed over over the years, they developed just like Israel did, a religious system that would teach you the details of the rules on what you ought to do and what you ought not to do, that's the law. That's the old covenant. Now, be honest with me, does that sound kind of familiar to you? Hmm? Does it sound kind of familiar to you that, that there's a threat there from God saying, you either do what I tell you to do, or I'm going to curse you? If you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to squash you like a bug and fry you in hell. That's the old covenant. was given to Israel through Moses by God? Now we, living thousands of years later, understand from the history given to us in the Old Testament, we understand that even though Israel promised as a nation, they all agreed, we're going to do what God tells us to do. We're going to keep His covenant. We're going to keep His rules. Whatever He tells us to do, we're going to do it and even though they all determined that on various occasions throughout their history as a nation they all came to that same conclusion they all came down to "Yep, we want to do what god's telling us to do we want to keep the rules even though they agreed with that the old testament scriptures in the history of israel are very clear never once were they ever able to keep God's law. They couldn't do it. They tried. They went through all kinds of gyrations to make it happen. In fact, their latest attempt at the time of Christ was to reason that, you know, people, they're they're gonna break some rules, they know that. So what they decided they would do is put a protective hedge around the Ten Commandments. And what I mean by that is they made up 613 rules on how not to break the Ten Commandments. Okay, And they taught those as the traditions of the elders, it was passed down and finally written out in a book called Talmud. What was that all about? That was about their effort to keep the rules according to the old covenant. Because nobody wants God to curse them. Nobody wants bad stuff to happen to them because they didn't behave themselves. Nobody wants to be punished, and so they're trying as hard as they can to get God to bless them, or at least not curse them. Those 613 rules and regulations around the Ten Commandments, their reasoning was that people are going to break rules, you know. They just just do. You make a rule, somebody's going to break it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make up all these rules around the Ten Commandments and those are the rules they're going to break. They're not going to break the Ten Commandments. What they didn't realize was by making up their rules around the Ten Commandments they broke the Ten Commandments. They didn't realize it but they were doing that. This was manifested directly when Jesus came on the scene. Here's the Son of God. And they rejected Him. They weren't keeping the rules. They couldn't. So the old covenant was a contract of rules. You enter into a deal with God. You said, okay God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do and I'm not going to do what you tell me not to do, and then you bless me. And many, many people keep making that deal with God. Even today, there are a lot of folks who make that kind of deal with God. In fact, we can catch it, you know, we can catch ourselves when something bad happens to Why did this happen to me? I was keeping the rules. What's up with this? Here's the point i making. That's a lifestyle. Of rule keeping that is ineffective, unsatisfactory, and does not please God at all. So, in the course of their history, in the Old Testament, God brought on a prophet with the name Jeremiah, who announced to all of Israel that since you've never been able to keep the rules, God says, I'm gonna make a new deal with you. I'm gonna make a new covenant with you. And he laid out the terms of the covenant, which are astounding. Now this new covenant that he made with Israel, and with all humanity, had three terms. The first was, he says, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I am going to put my rules in you. What does that mean? Essentially, God says, I'm going to make you behave. I'm going to give you the desire to behave. I'm going to make you want to do what I want you to do. The second is, you're not going to have need that somebody tell you about me because I'm going to talk to you personally and directly. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And the third one, the most astounding thing about the new covenant is your sins and your iniquities. All the times you've screwed up God says, I will remember no more. Total, absolute, eternal forgiveness. I don't even remember that you did it. Now, that new covenant, we're not going to get into all the specifics of that right now, but that new covenant is radically different than the old covenant. You all see that? You all see how the old covenant was based upon your performance? and your efforts of what you're going to do to get God to bless you, which is, by the way, the foundation of all religion. Whereas the New Covenant is focused on God and what He's doing, how He's working in us, what He's accomplishing, that we couldn't do. Radically different ways to live. under the old covenant we are naturally obsessed with that forbidden fruit in the garden. The knowledge of good and evil. If you live under the old covenant, you have to know what's right and what's wrong. You've got to figure that out. In our context here, in this contrast we're talking about, he calls it the letter where he says let's just read it again saying who hath made us able ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit. What does he mean by that? There's a second all important contrast between two ways of living your life you're either going to live it under the letter or you're going to live it under the spirit. Now by the letter, he's not just referring to what we normally think of as the letter of the law. The letter of the law meaning all the little details, all the little minor things concerning the rules. You know, it's kind of like the fine print in your contract you sign, okay, which nobody ever reads except lawyers they're the ones who wrote it but you got all these little fine points all these little details that's not what he means by the letter here. well it's something radically different it's not just the fine points or the details of the law the letter of the law is your own interpretation and understanding of what the rule means. See, Jesus pointed this out to the Pharisees who were rule keepers extraordinaire. When he told them, you've read in the law that you shall not commit adultery. And you think you know what that means. You've got this letter in your mind that says, well, if I don't jump on my neighbor's wife, I haven't committed adultery. But I say unto you, if you've got lust in your heart toward another, you've already committed adultery. You see how Jesus intensified that? It's not just the outward behavior, it's the inward desire. That the law was really addressing. So you can refrain on the outside from committing adultery and being committed, committing adultery constantly on the inside with a desire. Further, he said, you think, because you've read the law, you know the rules, that just because you haven't murdered another person. You haven't shot him. You haven't choked him to death. You haven't stabbed him or killed him. You think that you have kept the law. But I say unto you, if you have hatred in your heart towards another, you have murdered them already. You see, Jesus exposed the fallacy of the letter now we do this all the time by the way we read a command in the scriptures and we think we know what it's talking about for instance and by the way we develop a whole rationale concerning that a whole doctrine if you will a whole teaching about this command that we think we understand but our letter, our understanding, is incomplete. It's wrong. Probably one of the most classic examples of it in modern day that I've seen is the fact that you'll hear preachers teachers rant and rave about tithing. You all know tithing, right? You know what tithing is? The law of tithing. You know the letter what tithing is about. The word tithe means a tenth, and so the idea is that you are to give a tenth of your increase of your goods to God. That's tithing. Now, our letter has twisted that around, saying that you ought to give God your tithes, but that ones who are telling you that, give you their address to send it to See, their letter has twisted around. Because when you go back and you actually look at the law, Deuteronomy 14, concerning the tithe, it's radically different than what we normally think of. Because they were an agricultural community, when that law was given, it was expected of the Israelites to bring to God, to bring to the temple, their offerings, their tithes, primarily of their agricultural goods, whether it be sheep, oxen, whether it be grain, wheat, whatever. And in that law, it says, "Now you take that your tithe to wherever the law, wherever the Lord tells you to go, and there." You eat your tithe. Eat your tithe? What? Yeah. You eat your tithe before the Lord. Like having a party. Now that's real confusing to us these days because our letter has so been twisted around we don't have a clue of what it really means. And so he goes on to say now If your tithe is too big, that means you got too much grain, or you got too many animals, a tenth of your flock is too many animals for you to go somewhere. He says, Go ahead and sell your tithe, convert it into money. So you got money now. Now we're talking, right? Now we're talking about your money and your tithe. But then he goes on to say, And take that money that you have converted from your tithe to where the Lord tells you, again, the Lord is telling you, requiring communication between you and God, we'll get to that in a minute, to where the Lord tells you and buy with that money, that tithe money, whatever your soul lusts for. Well pretty wild, isn't it? Let me give you some examples. Sheep. You want some more sheep? Buy some sheep with that money. Oxen? You need a few more oxen? Work animals? Use your tide money to buy them. Wine? Or strong drink? And there. Celebrate with your tithe before the Lord. Anybody here ever hear a sermon preached on Deuteronomy 14 and the tithe? There ain't no preacher in their right mind do that. Because you all be taking your tithe money and going out to eat Denny's after church? You see how convoluted that letter gets. But what's the answer to this? Right here in our contrast. You don't live your life under the law, trying to interpret and keep rules and regulations. You're not capable of that. and God knows it. So he's given you a new contract, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And this is probably the most fundamental, most basic point about walking backwards that I want to share with you. Walking backwards is not in your own energy, it's not in your own strength, it's not in your own wisdom, it's not in what you see and you perceive, no, no. Walking backwards is by faith in what the Spirit tells you personally to do. That's walking backwards. There's a lot of folks that miss out on that totally for a number of reasons, which we'll cover as we go along in our study. The new covenant is empowered by the Spirit When God said those three promises, number one, I'll write my law on your heart and put it in your inward part, what would he talking about? He was talking about the Spirit of God Himself inside of you, telling you what you need to do, when you need to do it, when you need to quit doing it, when you need to start doing something else. The Spirit telling you. God, through His Spirit, speaking to you directly, telling you how to live, where to go, what to do. That's radically different than trying to live your life according to a set of rules and regulations that somebody else has made up. Instead of trusting your own ability to understand the rules and regulations and to live them, you trust the Spirit to direct you, guide you, lead you. Every moment of every day in your everyday life. That is walking backwards, is faith in the Spirit. And then he gives us a real brief yeah. summary of the consequences of each. When you walk backwards, you're walking in the Spirit You're walking by what He teaches you, what He tells you, how He leads you, how He directs you. There's a conscious awareness between you and the Spirit on what you need to do, where you need to go, etc. And the result of that, he simply calls life. For the letter, he says, kills, but the Spirit gives life. See. When you're walking according to the rules and regulations, when you're trying to live your life according to your own knowledge of good and evil, according to what you think is right or wrong, according to your letter, you're going to die. Oh, you may not just fall over dead. No, that won't happen to you usually. Sometimes it might. No, but you're going to die personally. You know what I mean by that? You're going to struggle inwardly, wondering whether you're okay or not. Wondering if you've kept enough rules. Wondering if you really know the rules to keep. You're going to be filled with fear and anxiety because you're not sure. There is never any assurance that you're okay because it's all up to you. It's all up to how you interpret it and whether you do it or not. You're unsure. So you're walking in fear. As a consequence of that, you're walking in guilt. Because you already know there's been a bunch of times when you've blown it, when you haven't done what you know to be right. Or when you have done what you know is wrong. And you feel guilty about it. And as a consequence of that fear and guilt, you try to cover it up with pride. You see, where religious pride comes from is the idea that you know the rules. You've kept the rules. And God blesses you because of that. So your faith is in yourself, not in God. Your faith is in your own ability. Your faith is in your own understanding. Your faith is in your own wisdom and your own power, not in God in His understanding, wisdom or power, not at all. And as a result, you die personally when you die personally, you also die relationally. There's also relationships falling apart. Because if you haven't noticed it, not only do you not keep the rules, but other people don't keep the rules either, do they? And you set yourself up as a judge and decide whether or not they're keeping the rules according to your standards and whether or not they should be punished because they haven't. You see, walking that normal lifestyle of law and lies is real dangerous. Dangerous to us personally, dangerous to us relationally, and ultimately spiritually, because it destroys our relationship with God. So what we're studying here, what we're learning is how to walk under the new covenant of grace. Grace and truth. Now the reason we're studying this, just to remind you from our introduction, is that that's the way Jesus walked. John in his gospel tells us, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. And then Jesus went on to live out on this earth, Is recorded for us in the Gospels, not only John, but the others. Live out on this earth a new lifestyle of grace and truth. So walking backwards is walking in grace and truth. Same thing as walking like Jesus walked. The way he lived. Which is the healthiest, most satisfying lifestyle you'll ever live. See, walking in grace is what pleases God because of your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you're trusting Him to tell you what to do, you're trusting Him to tell you where to go, you're exercising that faith, you're pleasing God and it's satisfying to you. Whole different lifestyle. So what we're trying to learn in this study is how it is that we're going to walk in grace and truth as opposed to law of life. How is it that we're going to actually live out the reality of what's available to us under the new covenant that God has made with us? And so the key to that, and I want to leave with you this morning, the key to walking backwards is to walk in the Spirit, to trust God through His Spirit to tell you personally and directly what he wants you to do how he wants you to live and he's awesome he is also happy to do that believe me that's what he wants to do he wants more than anything else to tell his kids what's best for them and how to live now again there's serious obstacles that we're going to have to overcome to be able to walk walk backwards like that. But the key issue is a relationship with God through His Spirit. And it's a dynamic, free-flowing thing. It's not a static thing. And by that I mean the Spirit of God may direct you in a totally different direction go live in a totally different way than other people. And you might think, man, that's strange how they're living compared to how I'm living. But see, God is an infinite God of variety. He loves variety. He doesn't make each one of us the same. And His calling on us, even though we share common characteristics, that is, loving other people like Christ. There's an infinite variety of ways to do that, that he may call on you to do, and he may not call on somebody else to do it. See, the beauty of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is it's up to God. It's not up to us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to decide whether it's right or wrong. All we have to decide is whether God's telling us to do it or not. That's it. Now, He helps us with that in in many, many ways, but I want you to look, before we get started in that, at the remaining verses of this chapter. He gives us the example of Moses again. And He shows us this example for a specific reason. Later in the chapter, he said, now this is how we're walking. We're walking in grace. We're walking in openness and honesty. We're walking in grace. And then he contrasts that to what Moses did when he came off the mountain with the law. See, when Moses came down off that mountain, his face was radiating white light. It would be like trying to look into the sun to look at Moses. It was so bright that the people cried out to him and said, Moses, cover your face up so we can talk to you. And so Moses did. He accommodated him. He put a veil over his face, which was shining. But Moses noticed something when that, that veil was on his face. He noticed something when his face was shining. He noticed that for the first time since he led the children of Israel out of bondage of Egypt, for the first time he had their respect. They weren't trying to kill him anymore. They were actually listening to what he had to say. So he liked that. I've often thought about that. Can you imagine old Moses coming? coming off the mountain, his face shining like that. Then at night, he goes into his tent, takes the veil off, and the whole tent just glows. Oh, that's where Moses is. That glowing tent over there, that's where Moses is staying. But after a while, as he goes on to tell us here in chapter 3, that shining glory of his face began to wear off became less and less and less. But Moses kept that veil on his face. Why would he keep that veil on his face? Because when he had the veil on his face, they couldn't tell whether his face was shining or not.
0: And even though he knew
1: his face wasn't shining anymore, he kept that veil on so other people wouldn't know that his face wasn't shining anymore, and he'd get the respect deserved. And so, Paul, oh, who put a veil over his face, we're going to speak open, and we're going to be completely honest and transparent, living in grace. Now, he goes on to make an application here that I'll close with. When you're living under the law, as with most then you have to put a veil over your face. Why? Because the law was designed to point out to every individual how absolutely worthless they were. you know that? The law was designed by God to show the whole world guilty before Him. That's why God gave the rules. He didn't give the rules. Under the old covenant, so you could save yourself by your own effort to keep the rules. No. That's not why he gave them. The reason he gave the rules is to prove to you that you couldn't keep them and you needed a savior. You need somebody to do for you what you can't do for yourself, and that someone is God. That's the purpose of the law. So when you live under the law, when you live under all these rules and regulations, you've got to keep this veil up. You can't people let people see you as you really are. You've got to put on the dog. And Christians fall into this constant. They call it looking like a good Christian, acting like a good Christian. That's a veil, a veil coming up. To keep other people from seeing your faults. To keep other people from seeing that you fail, And so when the, when you're under the law, you have to have hypocrisy, the veil, and lies, deceit. you got to hide it from people. But when you're under grace, when you turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away. You don't need it anymore. Why? Because it's not you. Now, I don't have time to fully develop this. Some of you will get it, others will have weight. When you get rid of the veil under grace, you recognize, you realize that it is not you that is sinful. You that isn't keeping the law. It is your flesh. Because the brand new person God has made you to be never has sinned, is not sinning now, and never will sin. You don't need it though. You don't have to have it. Why? Because God has justified you freely by His grace. You don't need justification. You don't need to justify yourself. You don't need to prove to yourself or other people that you're righteous. You don't need any of that. Why? Because God's already done it. And that frees you. Because you don't need the veil. You don't need the justifications. That frees you to quit worrying about yourself long enough to care about others. To actually love other people like Christ. Now here's the kicker. When you actually love others like christ you fulfill the whole law the whole law every rule and regulation is fulfilled when you love another person like christ that's what it's for so this lifestyle we're talking about even though it is totally backwards to our normal lifestyle is a lifestyle of grace and truth that gives you freedom and compassion. And that's a lifestyle that is going to be contingent upon what God is doing in you and through you by His Spirit. That's what grace really means. It means how God supernaturally works in you and through you to accomplish His purpose in your life. So this new lifestyle we're studying, this lifestyle of grace and truth, even though it's backwards to our normal way of thinking, our normal way of behaving, even though it's totally backwards, is a lifestyle that is pleasing to God and totally satisfying to you.
0: Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, And visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.